0: drugs and steroids I don't think you need it obviously if you're competing as a bodybuilder a pro bodybuilder then obviously you have to to be able to compete at that level but a lot of people don't understand if you dabble in performance enhancing drugs when you're increasing muscle size at an exponential rate what also is it doing your organs are increasing in size as well too your muscles and your organs your heart your liver your kidneys so now at the end of this supposed this bodybuilding career, you've got this incredibly enlarged heart and you've done so much damage that you can't reverse it. And for what? For a plastic trophy? That's why these got people, a lot of these bodybuilders, men and women, they don't live past 55. Their heart can't take it. If anyone that wants to compete in bodybuilding, they have to look at the risk versus reward and just look at it, is it worth it to take this many years from my life and what is the reward? You know, is it worth it that maybe you may not live past 55, 56? You know, to me, it's a very easy, easy formula. Absolutely not.
1: I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Obi, what's up, man? Welcome to the KetoCam Podcast.
0: What's going on, Ben? How are you? Thank you for having me on, my brother.
1: Thanks for making it happen. You're in California. I'm in Florida and we're making it happen. We're going to have a fun conversation. You have quite the uh, track record. Uh, Really impressed with what you've been doing. You've been on a lot of TV shows. Uh, You work with a lot of celebrities. You understand how the body works. You understand how you should not overtrain. Actually, there's a lot of cool things that we resonate with, which I can't wait to get into. But here's what I want to start with, Obi. You worked with a lot of celebrities, right? And you don't have to name names unless you're allowed to in, in this question. But the question is this, what, which celebrity has impressed you the most working with them? And, and why were you so impressed with them?
0: Um, I would say probably the person that has impressed me the most uh, was probably Steve Harvey um, because of his work ethic. He, he's working like, you know, 17 hour days and his ability when I was working with him, he was 60 years old and his ability to have the energy to work out you know, for an hour or an hour and a half, knowing that he had a full day, or maybe he uh, uh, was just coming off four hours or five hours of sleep at 60 years old. And he was, I mean, he hit it hard. I mean, there was nothing that I gave him that he couldn't do. And they were workouts that I don't think most 60 year olds can do. So what it told me is that it's not a surprise that he is as, as successful as he is because it takes a tremendous amount of work ethic and drive and determination and believe in yourself and not giving up. So I was able to see that when I was training him. I was just amazed at his um, his endurance, his energy um, at 60. So uh, it told me a lot about who he is and, and the The qualities that he has which has allowed him to be successful you know you can't get to that type of level of success and just kind of uh just get just be lucky and fall into it it takes of course being at the right place at the right time it takes the opportunity but it takes a tremendous amount of uh, work ethic and being able to to your your you really, you don't really have much time because the man was, I think at the time was juggling like three or four different TV shows and got a national radio show. And so, uh, so I was amazed. I would say he, he probably stands, stands at the top.
1: It's impressive. And do do you believe Obi that Steve Harvey and individuals that no matter what their age, how old they are, they exude this energy and vibrance because they're, Living on purpose with their purpose, and when you are so passionate about what you do, you're just you just find the energy. Do you think that's a big part of it?
0: Yes, definitely, without a doubt. Yeah, I think that purpose matters, and when you have a purpose, then th- uh, that purpose will drive you beyond human comprehension. You know, we've all I don't know if you've had, but I've had jobs that I've hated that I've that just were horrible. Like I, I dreaded getting up getting up in the morning to go to work and uh, i realized it was a job it wasn't a career i, I had no purpose i had no drive so uh, when you have purpose and you have drive and you really enjoy what you do and you know that you were put on this earth to do that then you'll you'll go beyond human comprehension to push yourself beyond what most people would be willing to do
1: i think that's one of the most important advice, tips that we can give. I think a lot of people don't understand the health benefits of living on purpose with your purpose. But when we share things like studies are showing that most people have their first heart attack in America, Monday morning between eight and 9 a.m. going to jobs they hate, like they could connect the dots that that stress leads to disease, leads to a shorter lifespan. But I don't think they could see the opposite that when you focus on the things you love to do, you you have the energy to extend your lifespan.
0: There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I do believe that when, um, you know, when people retire, um, I do think it's important to find something that you want to do. Give yourself some purpose. If you're in your 60s, or seven, because that purpose, it, I think that if you, you don't have a purpose, I think that uh, I think mean, you can die early. You know what I mean? I think that um, it's so important when, let's just say someone who is works a nine to five job and they retire maybe 65 years old. I just feel like having a purpose, whether it's contributing to your community, local community, doing some form of charitable work, something that you enjoy doing, it gives you a motivation to get up in the morning, you know, it gives you a motivation to know you're contributing to society, particularly if it's something that actually is helping people. (laughs) You know, hopefully it does. (laughs) Then it's a win-win, right? Yes.
1: For you... At what point throughout your journey did you realize this is my purpose, this is what I want to do?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've always had a love for fitness, being an athlete, playing basketball and track in high school and college. I know that I didn't want to be a trainer at a gym. I was trying to figure out how can I get into this career and make a, a decent living, a good living and be able to transform lives. How, do I, how am I able to do that? So that was where when I entered the industry, before social media exploded and everything was about being in the magazines as far as uh, the content that you would actually obtain, I was just trying to figure out how I can go in there. I I know I didn't want to be a trainer at the gym, working 10, 12, 14 hours a day. I I wanted to really be some form of um, an educator, um, an expert. um, uh, I guess they use the word influencer now, but before social media, you know, influencer was you know, someone who is an expert, uh, an actual educator. So I think when I came in the industry, uh, magazines were everything. If you weren't in a magazine, you didn't exist. So being able to see yourself in a magazine or see your article in a magazine was a big, big thing. At that time you had gatekeepers, editors that were making decisions on who comes in and who doesn't. So unfortunately what that did was that it made it very difficult to actually have a presence in the industry, if you weren't in a magazine, now we can all create our own platforms. You get a podcast, a YouTube platform, whatever, and you don't have an editor telling you you're not good enough or you're not talented enough to create any content. Anyone can create content, and um, which is a which is a great thing. But the bad thing is that there's no regulation in regards to that. So if you have someone that doesn't know what the hell they're talking about, if they say enough stupid stuff, right? Eventually, it, people believe it. It's like you tell a lie enough times, loud enough, it becomes the truth. So for me, it was important for me to really be a, a form of truth in the industry. Of course, I'm an entrepreneur, but in my heart of hearts, I'm an educator. I, I love to write, I love to create content. Uh, and I don't care if it gets you know 50,000 views or if it gets 20 views. As long as it reaches someone, it makes me feel good.
1: Respect, I love that. You know, As an educator, I also am an educator too. It's one of my favorite things to do is to teach. And selfishly, I'm sure you could relate to this, Obi. When you start to learn information and learn different concepts and you want to teach it and you start teaching it, by the fact that you're teaching it, you now learn it better. Like As soon as you learn it and teach it, then you absorb it better. Do you find that to
0: be true as well? Absolutely. Without a doubt, for sure. So it's a win-win-win. We all need refreshers. You know, I forget every day you know, on things that I remember reading 10, 15 years ago. So when I'm writing, I have to do research. So it it really helps. It's almost like this continuing education that I'm doing while I'm creating content and researching. And so I get refreshers continuously, continuously, continuously. And it's important because I wish I had that photographic brain that can just Remember something, and it just stays there sometimes like, oh got let me go go back and look at this one one more time and make sure this is what it is, you know, so yeah,
1: love it, I could resonate with that. You have worked with so many different walks of life, male, female, tall, small, big, sm- skinny. when you start meeting with these individuals on a one on one level, what kind of assessment do you do with them to determine? how their workout regimen should be, what their program should be. What are some of the things you're asking, some of the things you're looking for?
0: Sure. Well, uh, first of all, if I ask for their their height, their weight, their fitness goals, dietary preferences, foods they can eat, foods they can't eat, things they're allergic to. I want to find out what past or present injuries they've had, any medical or health concerns I need to be aware of. So that information is uh, critical for me to be to create a tailored program for them. Because if you're not asking that information, there's no way that you can help that person appropriately. And you can actually injure somebody. You know, if someone has like, you know, has, has, has an artificial knee or, or they had back surgery, hip surgery, and you're not aware of that, and you're giving them a program to do like crazy squats or deadlifts or whatever, or doing exercises that they probably can't do. You are extremely hazardous to their health, and so for me, I take pride that I really haven't had anybody um, really have an injury on my watch, you know and that's very that's important, impressive very important for for me. So um, the more information that I can get from them, the better that I can serve them.
1: Yeah, that makes sense like a great coach would do.
0: If you're in, if you're doing one-on-one coaching and you're working with someone, you have to do that. It's different if someone's buying a book from you. That's a completely different thing. But if you're actually doing one-on-one coaching and you don't ask those questions and you're not creating something formatted for their specific goals, what they want to accomplish, you are stealing money from that individual. You You really are. And there's a lot of people doing that, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. So if you're working with the coach and they have not asked you any of those questions, that would be a red flag. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? This may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance, Natasha, loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below. Click the link. Enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. For 1st Let's say we have two different types of people listening to the podcast right now or watching on YouTube. We have a postmenopausal woman. Let's say she's 56 years old. During her transition from her menstrual cycle to perimenopause to postmenopause, she put on about 30 extra pounds of weight. She is very sedentary right now she wants to get into a workout routine. She knows the importance of building muscle, especially to prevent things like osteopenia, osteoporosis. I know you just said we have to ask all these questions about health history and all that, but without taking that out of consideration, just in this example, what are some initial steps for this person to get started right now?
0: Well, to be honest with you, um, how long have they been sedentary? Let's say 10 years in this example,
1: maybe walking here and there, but no really strength training. Okay, and how old are they?
0: that's 56 years old. And that's all the information I have. But are are they willing to give me more information? Let's say
1: she's on thyroid medication. Mm -hmm. She's had reoccurring low back issues. Other than that, no other injuries in the past, uh, 30 pounds overweight. Her goals are to lose those 30 pounds in the next six months and to build muscle to prevent osteoporosis.
0: Does she have any, any injuries?
1: Not currently, but in the past, reoccurring back injuries, let's say.
0: So basically what I would do is, uh, number one, uh, they're 56 years old. They've been sedentary for some time. So I would really, I would give them a program where it's a r- really low impact type of program. I would just keep it body weight workouts and I would have their cardio at a slow walk. I really would try to get as much information as possible. I need to find out how how long they've been taking thyroid medication um, and what their hormonal levels are. Because if, if their hormonal levels, even with the thyroid medication is imbalanced, there's nothing that I can do. I can give them a program. It doesn't mean it won't do anything. If your hormones are imbalanced, there's a program will not help you if you're trying to lose body fat. And people don't understand that. You know, I've learned that the hard way. So I want to find out what their hormonal levels are, if they're balanced. If they are, then okay, I can help them. If they're not and they're completely off, then me giving them a diet program that puts them in a deficit, they're not gonna they're not gonna have any success. They're just not.
1: Hormones are so important to your point.
0: Yeah. And so that's so important. You don't wanna be someone, okay. Let me, I wanna, I wanna close this, this, this client, but but they're giving you information that doesn't allow you to do your job, and so now you're stealing money from them, right? So I'd get get that information. If they're if it is balanced, then I would obviously, uh, depending on how much they weigh, then I would create the daily caloric program based on how much they weigh. So for example, if they're, you know, 230 pounds or whatever, you know, I, I would have their calories anywhere between maybe 16, 1700 calories, depending on. Uh, the activity level that I put them on, uh, I'd probably have them working out about four days a week. Be all body weight workouts. Their cardio would not be more than a walk from a, from an intensity perspective. So yeah, that's that's kind of would I would really it would really be an elementary level from an exercise perspective. It would be more focused on the diet and nutrition aspect, and the exercise would be extremely low impact because of the age. And because the lack of activity level that the, they've been on for for ten years, you know,
1: I think it's solid advice focusing on some low impact body weight exercises and then gaining some momentum. That was what I was kind of seeking from you, and you nailed it with that. I know that there's different types of exercises out there. There's single joint movements, multi joint movements. Uh, I love what you said. I was studying for this interview. You said. You said the word health should never be associated with bodybuilding. (laughs) (laughs) I love that because a lot of people don't understand that bodybuilding and putting on a whole bunch of muscle in a short amount of time is not the same thing as health and longevity goals. So, speak some more about this.
0: No, no, bodybuilding, it's funny because, you know, the word bodybuilding, it used to be known as building your body. That was what the whole intention was. And then once, you know, with with Joe Weeder and the and the explosion of bodybuilding with with uh, pump and iron and bigger is better, it's gotten to a point where bodybuilding is a word that most a lot of people, the average everyday person, doesn't want to have their name associated with it. It just it just sounds like you know a dog. Just it just it's just archaic, you know, and, and it's extreme. Um, when you're bodybuilding, even if you're a natural person, it's still extreme. You're exercising more than your body should be, more than you should be doing. You're dieting, the dieting is extreme. When you're getting ready for a show, you're literally depleting as much water as possible so you can be as dry as possible. You, you, You can't function like that. Now you're affecting the functionality of your brain. You know, because of all of the water depletion that you're doing, right? Which obviously affects your heart as well too, especially if you're taking high-powered diuretics. So, bodybuilding to me is—it is so extreme; it is contradictory to optimal health. It is, you know. And and I, I competed for a couple years and had some success with that, and I and I realized, you know, how unhealthy it is you know there's nothing wrong with being the best bo- achieving the best body possibly can can achieve but i think that bodybuilding takes it to another level times 5 and that's why so many people are dying that's why these got people a lot of these bodybuilders men and women they don't live past 55 their heart can't take it you know i'm anti drugs and steroids i don't think you need it Obviously, if you're competing as a bodybuilder, a pro bodybuilder, then obviously you have to to be able to compete at that level. But a lot of people don't understand if you dabble in performance-enhancing drugs, when you're increasing muscle size at an exponential rate, what also is it doing? Your organs are increasing in size as well, too. Your muscles and your organs, your heart, your liver, your kidneys— so now at the end of this supposed this bodybuilding career, you've got this incredibly enlarged heart and you've done so much damage that you can't reverse it. And for what? For a plastic trophy? You know? But like, you know, 98% of people have have never heard of the um the Olympia. That's just the truth. You know, so you have to really look at it from a perspective, anyone that wants to compete in bodybuilding, they have to look at the risk versus reward and just look at it. Is it worth it to take this many years from my life? And what is the reward? You know what I mean? Even if you become a, a multi-millionaire, which it's, it's like 0.5% to be a Jay Cutler or a Ronnie Coleman or a Phil Heath, it, you know, is it worth it that maybe you may not live past 55, 56? You know, to me, it's a very easy easy formula. Absolutely not.
1: I'm with you, 100%. This is the dark side of the bodybuilding industry, right? That is why most bodybuilders, to your point, live on average 12 years less than the average person. That's why we saw the last few years during COVID, so many of these bodybuilders end up getting really, either really sick or dying from COVID. We saw it also in the CrossFit space. And I used to actually own a CrossFit gym here in Miami many years ago. And a lot of these individuals, they look great on the outside and they're so inflamed on the inside. They're not recovering. So... That's very important for those listening and watching to understand that having health and longevity goals are usually not synonymous with bodybuilding and putting on as much muscle as possible.
0: Right. Exactly. As you get older, you really you don't really want to weigh too much. You know, it's not really conducive for uh, for longevity. So, uh, and most people they can't. If you're trying to be as big as possible and gain as much muscle as possible and you're, of course, using performance enhancing drugs, you can't sustain that for too long. Yeah, I haven't seen someone in their 50s or 60s like jacked like that with low body fat. They don't get to 60. If they're doing that, they don't. It's just just not possible. You have to get off the stuff, you know? And then when you get off of it, you're on TRT for life, you know, because your natural testosterone production Has stopped. And so now you got to get on TRT. Uh, A lot of these young people, they don't, they're not aware of that.
1: Yeah, it's true. So
0: besides bodybuilding,
1: besides performance enhancing drugs and even taking human growth hormone or TRT, what are some of your favorite exercises for men and women to get the biggest bang for their buck where they're not having to spend an hour at the gym? They're focusing on your favorite lifts. Like what are those lifts? movements, activities, exercises, whatever you want to call it, that are going to give us the biggest bang for our buck? We'll call it like smart training.
0: Sure. Well, I would say uh, I think flat dumbbell chest press is a great exercise, great foundational movement for chest. I think bench press is um, overrated exercise, it's horrible on the shoulders, and I've seen so many injuries that have uh, come from, from bench press. I think flat dumbbell chest press is great. I would also say uh, wall sits is a great exercise, especially if you use some dumbbells-assisted movements. Dumbbell deadlifts is a great exercise as well, too. Uh, T-bar rows is a great exercise for back. I would say uh, dumbbell squat calf raise, which which with dumbbells, I, I'm really big on dumbbells because of the free range of motion movement. And I always say that dumbbells are some of the best best devices to use to, to really build muscle and to really get deep into the muscle and really uh, shape it. I'm not saying you can't shape it with other exercises, but with dumbbells, I feel like it really allows you to truly shape the muscle at its best. Machines are great if you've got bad joints, but dumbbells are always going to be the best full range of motion.
1: So with the with the dumbbell squat calf raise, how are you doing that? Are you? In
0: fact, I can even show you right now. You've got the dumbbells to your side, to your legs, and you're coming up, boom.
1: Ah, uh, got it. Okay. All
0: right, that's a great movement. I do it, and it's a great movement for um, anybody. Anyone can do it. Well, regardless of age, because they can sit to a chair and stand up, right? Yeah, you just exactly right. It, it's a it's a movement that we all do every day, right? And if you use a good, you don't have to use heavy weight, you know, especially if you do that for like 15 to 18 repetitions, really slow, you can feel it. And you can also get a uh, aerobic aspect of it too, because of the high repetitions, your heart rate really jumps up. So that's a really great exercise that I like.
1: Love it. So wall sits with dumbbells.
0: Wall sits with dumbbells. T-bar rows is a great exercise. Bent over rows is a great back exercise as well too. I actually think one of the, probably the best, for someone that's really a, a girl or a guy that wants to increase the shape of their arms, I always say that put if you really wanna improve the shape of your arms, don't put your energy train in your biceps, put your energy train in your triceps. Why? Because your triceps is two thirds of your arm, right? People don't, they, they don't think that, bicep, bicep, bicep. No, well, if your tricep is two thirds of your arm, why would you put so much emphasis on the biceps? So I think the one of the best tricep exercises to do is a bench dips, especially if you go really slow. It's a really great exercise to really shape that aspect of your arm.
1: Good tip. What about if you're doing close grip bench press with the dumbbells, where you're activating those triceps, you're a little bit closer with the grips? Yeah, yeah,
0: no, that's also also great too as well too. Definitely for sure. I, I think one exercise that I would try to avoid it's not for everyone is the overhead tricep extension with the dumbbell. I think it's a, it's a, it's a big torque on your elbow. And um, I'm not a fan of that exercise at all. And I think if you do it for too much, I think you're going to have some elbow issues. So I I try to avoid exercises where the torque on the elbow becomes a situation where you start to really feel it, especially if you're doing a lot of weight, you know,
1: What are your thoughts on sprints, burpees, pull-ups?
0: Yeah, no, I'm a big, it's so funny you mentioned sprints. You know, I was a track division one track athlete at Fullerton. So um, that was a big part of my life. And I I love sprints. I think sprints is one of the best leg workouts you can do. Uh, It's a full body workout too. Uh, It's anaerobic. So yeah, burpees is no joke. I can't stand them, but man, that will get you in shape that will yeah. raise your heart you get done with a burpee your heart rate is like in the 150s once maybe sometimes 160s True. you know so sprints and burpees definitely for sure i love actually it's so funny i i love cardiovascular i love pushing the heart uh it's very important for me of course you know i like lifting weights like anyone else but i i probably promote my cardiovascular workouts more than my weight training because I want to encourage people to to make sure that cardio is a regular staple in their lifestyle. So I will like promote and brag, hey my resting heart rate is 41. you know, I really enjoy pushing my my heart to its max, you know, running three to four miles and just pushing myself and you know, I'll maybe go for like a, a three mile run on the track and then do sprints afterwards, you know. So yes, cardiovascular is important to maintain a healthy heart. Um, so yeah. So your resting heart is 41. That's been the, the lowest. Yeah. It's about 41. It's
1: pretty good. Yeah. Mine's around 43, 44. Yeah.
0: That means you, that means you got an efficient heart. It means you're in great, great cardiovascular shape.
1: And I agree with you, but you know, what's funny is that most people who go to their doctor's appointment. And if their doctor sees that, they're like, there's something wrong
0: here. Yeah. 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 Exactly. They're like, well, what's going on? You know?
1: Right. But if you're active, this is a good thing,
0: yeah, if you're active and you're you know and you really push your heart, you know, it's you know like I think Hussein Bolt was like in the thirties or something like that. It was you know if you're a world class track athlete or endurance runner, they're like in the twenties or 30, they're they're on a completely different level, you know, but I do enjoy the aspect of really pushing the heart. I mean, it's good to be strong, but it's also important to have endurance as well too. And so I, what I see in the gym, a lot of guys, people that, that can lift a lot, but, uh, they don't really do any cardio. They have no endurance, you know, they just, if they are going up a flight of stairs with, with some groceries, they're huffing and puffing, you know? So I really believe in building a functional body. Hey, keto camper. There's something that I do every
1: single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout, and that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation, and there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near-infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near-infrared and red light, and every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria, get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bond Charge. They hooked you all up for being a Keto Camp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to boncharge.com slash Keto Camp and use the coupon code Keto Camp at checkout to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out. And let's get right back to this episode. And strength training, we wanna do it all. Do you prefer to do cardio before strength training or after or to separate those days?
0: Sure, that's a great question. I actually written articles about that. I think that from an energy efficiency perspective, I think it's better to do uh, cardio um, after your weight training, not before.
1: That's what I usually do.
0: Yeah, if you do cardio before your weight training, it zaps your energy. I, I've done it. I've tried it. <laughs> I've done. I've been the the guinea pig experiment. Let me try this out. And once in a while, I'll try it out just to push myself, and it just doesn't work. Once in a while, like maybe once a maybe once a month or whatever, I might in the mor- Saturday morning, I'll do like a two mile run as a warm up, and then I'll do like maybe ten to twelve hundred meter sprints, and then I'll get back home and. Take a shower, clean up, you know, eat something real quick. Wait another hour, so maybe there might be a two-hour increment, and then I'll go weight train. And I have found that I my energy's still okay, but I'm not quite like I would be if I had maybe flipped it and did cardio first. Uh, I'm sorry, did uh, weight training first and cardio second. What I'd always advise to clients and anybody is to do your cardio after your weight training but if you are going to do it on the same day and you're going to do cardio first and weight training second then maybe give yourself a couple hours to recover from the cardio maybe get yourself some food you know rest a little bit a couple hours and then go back and do weight training you won't be as bad good tip are you doing your
1: workouts in a fasted state, fed state, you mix it up. Like, what do you prefer to do? And then what about supplementation?
0: That's a great question. I just wrote an article about that. (laughs) Perfect. About fasted cardio. And so I used to believe that, you know, you can actually drop body fat um, doing fasted cardio, but all the studies I've shown versus fasted cardio and non-fasted cardio in terms of body fat loss, most of the studies I've seen, there hasn't been a significant difference between the two. So that's what's kind of fascinating, you know. I've seen people, oh, I'm getting ready for a show. I'm doing fasted cardio, and they really believe that, you know, they're gonna get that last bit of body fat. But the data shows that the there's not, there's really not much of a difference, you know. So if I do cardio early in the morning time, uh, what I would have at least minimumly is at least a protein shake in my system, you know at least a protein shake in my system and that can sustain me but typically i think it is better before if you're going to do a long cardiovascular run or it's going to take you 30 or 40 minutes to do any type of cardio it's going to take a lot out of you i do think it's important to eat a meal a a carbohydrate meal that's going to help to give you the fuel to be able to execute that workout effectively do you feel the same way if it's a strength training workout if I do weight training fasted, is that what you're saying? Correct. I feel like with strength training, when I have strength training and, and I haven't eaten a meal, I, I have felt that it has affected my energy levels. Yes.
1: When you when you skipped a meal and strength training? When I when
0: I didn't eat any let's just say Got that it. like I'm just on empty. I haven't eaten anything yet, right? And I worked out, I lifted weights in the morning. I didn't feel as strong and as energetic. I've been able to do it, but I didn't feel like as I'm not I'm not a big advocate of that. I want to optimize my workout, so I don't want to feel lackadaisical. One of the things that I actually do, this is actually a tip that I do that it's very, very helpful, is that if I haven't eaten much before lifting weights and I'm kind of lackadaisical, what I actually do is I'll actually bring my coffee and I'll sip on the coffee while I'm working out. And that caffeine really helps to spike up my energy levels.
1: Yeah, it's the best pre-workout for me too.
0: Thank you. You just you nailed it, Ben. I always <laughs> tell people it's the, the yeah. He's, he's drinking his coffee. It's the best pre-workout, baby. You know what I mean? It really is. Yeah, it really is. I put
1: I put creatine in mine too.
0: Dude, okay. See, smart man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what What about supplements? What do you do?
0: Um, you know, my supplements are are minimal. I take a uh, whey protein, and and then I'll take some creatine, and that's it.
1: So creatine, you're a fan of?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan. I think creatine is the it's the best dietary supplement when it comes to building muscle, without yeah. a doubt. Building muscle, recovery, because it's it's really it's activating your ATP, you know. And we don't, unfortunately, we don't eat enough meat, uh, enough red meat, to be able to get enough creatine in our body. So yes, I'm a big, big advocate of creatine without a doubt. I just put, I, when I take my protein shake, I put my creatine in my protein shake, shake it up, boom.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of creatine as well, men and women. I, I aim to get about seven to 10 grams per day of creatine, spread out. And then most of my female clients, we aim for them to get three, three to five grams spread out as well. Have you ever felt off during your keto journey or a journey? Maybe you experienced a headache, some fatigue, pesky cravings. This can happen when your body loses vital minerals, especially when following a keto diet. Here's what happens. When you lower insulin on keto and carnivore and fasting, you shed excess body weight. This is fantastic because you look lighter and feel lighter. However, you lose essential minerals like potassium, sodium, and magnesium. That's where B-mineral steps in. It's a full spectrum concentrated electrolyte and mineral supplement that gives you all the essentials your body needs. B mineral products are the perfect support for anyone doing keto carnivore fasting. It does not break your fast. It does not contain any anti-nutrients so it is carnivore friendly. It tastes just like water. It helps to keep your carb cravings at bay and to keep you in this fat adapted state we love called ketosis. I love this product. I drink it daily. I give it to my dog as well. So give Beam Minerals a try today for an enhanced keto carnivore and fasting experience. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the coupon code Azadi, which is my last name, A Z A D I, for a special discount. That is beamminerals.com, B E A M M I N E R A L S.com. Coupon code Azadi. We'll put that down below in the podcast notes. All right, let's get back to this interview. With the you know the conversation about fasted cardio or fasted training versus a fed state, there are a lot of like mixed studies out there, to your point. I can speak from my personal experience and some of the people I've worked with. I think it, it depends on how, of course, metabolically flexible you are. Obviously, if somebody is not metabolically flexible and they try to exercise in a fasted state, they're going to feel hypoglycemic. But let's throw that person out of the conversation here and say somebody is metabolically healthy. It would make sense to me, not looking at studies, just thinking about how the body works, that if you had a protein shake or a banana or oatmeal, whatever it is, those calories before a meal, and then you go and train, the your metabolism would use the food energy to be used as fuel first before it goes into body fat, right? That would make sense. Versus like if you went into it without eating that, now your body fat is kind of at the front of this metabolic bus. Right, right, agreed. But so you're saying studies are not really showing that.
0: Well, I, I so, so this is what I've seen. I've seen both studies. I've seen some studies, there's been some studies, small studies that I've seen that has shown that is lost, where people have lost body fat. But I've seen, as far as if you count the number, if you count the number, I've seen more studies that have shown there hasn't been a significant difference. There have been a couple of studies that have shown a loss of body fat, but it wasn't that significant, is what I'm trying to say. So they're mixed, you know, but I've seen more studies that have shown not a significant difference, almost there's no significant difference versus some of the small studies that have shown some body fat loss doing fasted, but there were more studies showing that there wasn't a significant difference versus studies that showed there was a significant difference. So, you know, the, the, what's interesting about studies is that for the everyday average person, it can be very confusing. For yourself and me, we look at it, we have the information in front of us, and then we use our own uh, deductive reasoning to say what actually works and what actually doesn't. So I'm this is my thing. I always just tell people, look, you do whatever works for you. Because, you know, someone might have clients that that, that they've done fasted cardio and they've probably lost body fat. And so they they have that type of evidential data in regarding them, you know, in regarding their clients and stuff like that. So who am I to say? But I'm just going off of the studies that I've seen, the PubMed studies that I've seen. So I would just say, you know, you do what, what you think works for you. And as long as you're not passing out or or feeling wobbly or whatever, or it's affecting your workouts or whatever, then, hey, go ahead and do it. And if you're getting results, hey, you know what I mean? You're getting results.
1: Yeah. Well said, OB. That's that's really good advice because you're right. A study could show something, but it might not even apply to you, even if it's a really good study.
0: It may not apply, you know? I mean, and like I said, I have seen some studies that have shown that they you know, people have lost it. The only thing that I haven't seen, I haven't seen anything that's shown where the difference was significant. That was what I was trying to, I wanted to see what was this, was there a significant difference versus, you know, fasted versus non-fasted. And I just hadn't seen anything that was so significant that would make me want to go that route and make me want to push myself and work out like that. Because it's not easy to work out fasted, especially if you do cardio like me, or maybe like yourself, you're like, oh my God, give me a meal, give me something. I'm going to eat my hand, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. It, you know, in the beginning, it, it definitely is not fun as, as well. But for, for me personally, I I enjoy fasted workouts. Do you? Faster Interesting. Cardio. Yeah. I love it. Like I, every Sunday I'll play basketball for two or three hours here in Miami outdoors, right? Super hot. And I do it fasted, right?
0: Oh my God! Wow, you, but bro, after you're done, you must be so hungry, bro. I'm very metabolically flexible, so. Oh my God! Well, you know what? You're you're a, you're an outlier, my friend. You literally <laughs> are because there are a lot of people that aren't. You know, I agree. And, um, yeah. and like you, you know, playing basketball for two hours and not eating anything—that reminds me of reminds me when I was a kid. <laughs> 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 I love basketball, by the way. I'm a big basketball fan and basketball was a huge part of my life. I played pickup games, you know, all the time. So back in the day, I, I haven't played in a while, but no, I mean, that's, that's amazing. I, I'm amazed that you're able to play for two hours on and I that would, that's amazing. Really.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And I've done a lot of work on the metabolism. You're right. I am the exception here. Uh, strength training as well. Uh, the majority of my strength training workouts are usually in the morning, 10 or 11 a.m., and I'm usually fasted. I do have the coffee like you and the creatine, but I would break the fast right after I, I have the workout. I just feel better when I train fasted. I, I feel like I'm using blood flow to pick up the dumbbells or do the sprint versus digestion. I, I just personally feel better.
0: So, like when you're doing it, you're not hungry at all, or I, maybe your body's just gotten used to it. It's got it, it's, I, been a, it's been it's been able to why. adapt.
1: I'm not hungry because my body's producing ketones. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. That's why for me, right? And I, and I'm I'm not saying we should be in ketosis forever. That's not what I teach. But when I fast, I get into ketosis, and those ketones are very yeah uh, satiating for yeah, me. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think it's fascinating, and you're literally a walking case study. And I'm sure you have other, you've had other case studies like that that have done the same. So, um, the fact that it works for you and you know, and your body has gotten used to that feeling is, is amazing. It's not the fact that I don't think I could do it. I think I could, but, um, I think it would take time for my body to get adapted to to, to that,
1: you know? But to your point, just because it works for me, doesn't mean it works for like Sally listening or Henry listening. It it is a stress to fast and then to work out is a stress. And then imagine a fasted workout, like that's a lot of stress. My body could adapt to it because I do a great job recovering, looking at my sleep, my REM, my deep, et cetera. But somebody's really stressed out and they try to do that, to your point, they're gonna feel awful.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember, I think Steve Harvey, I remember he was on, a, um, he was on something like that, an extreme keto diet, and he wasn't working with me, he was working with some other nutritionist or whatever, and he was, this is when he was doing four or five TV shows, and um, it was affecting him performing. Because of how many hours he worked and how he always had to be on. When he shared that with me, I said, I don't know if if you're the the best candidate for that, because you have to always be on your energy, standing and speaking and performing. And and he was always one he could he couldn't he always had to sit down, he just felt really weak, you know.
1: Yeah, a perfect example. It's a lot of stress for the body to adapt to. What are some of your favorite ways Obi to gauge measure if we're adapting to the workout? Let me ask you this before you get to that actually. Where where does the magic happen in terms of are we getting stronger when we're working out or does the strength and the benefits come from the recovery and adaptation from that workout?
0: I think it's both. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I think right. it's both. So if you're not doing if you're not getting the recovery, you're not really benefiting.
0: Yeah, you're not because Let's say you, you you worked out for an hour and a half, your chest, your biceps. I mean, you just freaking killed it, right? And you're sore, right? You've torn down your muscles. And then two days later, you do the same freaking workout. But now you're not as strong as you were two days ago because you just torn down your muscles, and those muscles are still recovering. So now it, it's counterproductive you've torn down your muscles, your muscles, the chest and the biceps, probably need another, probably at least three days to recover from its workout. But you decided, uh, ah, I love chest and biceps. I wanna do it, you know, not the following day, but the day afterwards. I only had a one day recovery, but you're not able to lift the same. You're not able to lift the same weight because it's not fully recovered. I believe that the aspect of building, uh, tearing down your muscles and recovering They're both equally important to be able to maintain your muscle mass and your strength levels. They're both equally important, the building and the recovery. And I wish that I had that knowledge when I was in my twenties. I didn't understand that because I worked out, but I didn't understand the scientific aspect of exercise and how it works and the muscle recovery aspect when you're tearing down your muscles. And I, I felt it. I've, I've done it. We've all done case studies on ourselves. Let me just try this out. Oh, that doesn't work. Let me try this out. That doesn't work. Let me give three extra days or four extra days before I do another same body part. Oh, wow, that worked. I feel good. You know, I could still do the same workout. I could still look the same that I did You know, three, four days ago. Sometimes, you know, sometimes even taking an extra five, six days before you do that same body part, you're able to lift more because you're fully recovered. So yeah, recovery, they're they're both equally important.
1: I agree, I agree. So what are your favorite ways to know if you're recovered or not? I I know you just explained, you pay attention to your body, you know, the soreness, et cetera, but are you using any other metrics to gauge that?
0: To me, in my my opinion, is listening to my body. You know, if my body is uh, extremely... Like for example, let's say I do legs on Tuesday and on Thursday, they're still sore. I probably need an extra two more days to recover. So I really look at the soreness. So
1: meaning you would probably work out, but you wouldn't work that body part. You would work a different body part.
0: I would work a different body part, yeah. So the soreness of that specific body part that I worked out, I, that the soreness, I'm not saying has to completely go away, But it has to be a significant decrease. You know, I feel like if you end up lifting, let's say, for example, you end up, you did legs on Tuesday, at least for me, if I do legs on Tuesday, and then I do legs again, maybe on Friday, but my legs are extremely, they're still sore. They have not, the the soreness hasn't gone down. I I know I'm not going to have a good workout. I already know that because when I'm lifting, I, my soreness is really affecting my ability to lift the, t- the same amount of weight I did before. So listening to your body to me is like the, your body is, is, it's amazing. It gives you signals, you know, this is what the signals are. You have to listen to it. You can't ignore it. I think sometimes when you're a hardcore person and you just train, 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 you could be your own worst enemy. So I'm, I'm a big Kobe Bryant fan, okay? I love Kobe, and, 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 yep. I, and it affected me when he died. Kobe was probably the hardest worker maybe ever in NBA history. His work ethic was ridiculous, but he was also his own worst enemy. And when I remember hearing, I seen an interview and talking about why I train early in this, at three in the morning, and then I come back again at 10 o'clock, and then I come back again at six, I'm like, when the hell is he recovering? When is he recovering? his work ethic allowed him to be one of the greatest basketball players ever. It wasn't like he had the highest vert. It, 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 his work ethic was ridiculous. But I believe that when he blew his Achilles, dude, he was 34 years old playing 38, 39 minutes because he was trying to drag that team to freaking playoffs. And he didn't have a coach that would say, Kobe, no. We, you can't play this amount of minutes. It's too much. If it was Phil Jacks or anyone he respected, besides Mike D'Antoni he would have listened to him and he blew his Achilles. And I really believe he blew his Achilles because he was overworking his body. It was too much. Everyone knew it. Like, Oh my God, this is insane. He was playing his best basketball of his career, but it was too much, you know? And, and so what I'm trying to say is that like a guy like Kobe, who overtrained, he, I felt he overtrained. I think that it allowed him to be one of the best basketball players ever but in my opinion from the interviews I've heard and all the workouts he's done and what I would hear how often he would work out I felt I'd never ever heard him say recovery. I I never ever heard that I need to give my body time to recover. And so I think he was his own worst enemy. How would you compare Kobe to LeBron in terms of that recovery aspect? Well, Le- LeBron re- understands that recovery aspect. Right. I'm not saying LeBron doesn't have the same, doesn't have the, a crazy work ethic, but I think that he probably understands the recovery aspect better than Kobe. And I think that's probably why he's able to play as long as he's been able to play at still at a high level.
1: Yeah, he if, has a trainer that's I, I mean, that de- I mean Ben, honestly,
0: if, if Kobe, in my opinion, this is my opinion, if he had understood that recovery aspect I truly believe that he could have played at this where LeBron is right now in his 21st season or whatever. I believe that Kobe could have still put up high numbers. Because at yeah. 34 in his 17th season, he was averaging 27 points a game. I think his field goal percentage was 46. It was his best field goal of his career. He's playing at a high level. You know? But it, you know, it's like, dude, the human body can only take so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a gift and a curse for sure. Okay, we have uh, two final questions for you. First question is, any what's your most embarrassing moment on TV? You've been a lot of TV shows. Any embarrassing moment come to mind?
0: I don't know about any embarrassing moment. Thank or funny
1: thanks, moment, memorable moment. Well,
0: I think there was a memorable moment when I was on the Wendy Williams TV show uh, and I was promoting my book with Morris Chestnut, and I was talking to Wendy, and it's I watched the clip and it still makes me laugh. And I'm like Wendy, I would tell, I'm like, ladies. If y'all want to have a nice booty, you know, you want to have a nice butt that pokes out, you got to lift some weights, ladies. You're not going to get bulky. You're not going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, you want a nice booty. So I'm saying that, right? And Wendy's got this look on her face like I'm talking about her. You know, she's like, (laughs) you know, she has this look like she thinks I'm talking about her. And it's so funny because I'm trying to be funny. I'm trying to be charismatic by it, but still injecting education and, you know, and saying, ladies, you got to lift some weights if you want to have that nice curves and booty or whatever. And she had that look like I was talking about her. Um, I wasn't talking about her, but if the shoe fits, no kidding.
1: (laughs) But she was great.
0: I have to send you the clip, man. It's every time I watch it, I laugh at it. And that clip that being on that show uh, got me on the Today Show. The executive producer saw me on that. She's like, "I, I want that guy on my show." And well done. And I'm doing a two month, uh, two month weight loss series on the Today Show. Um, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Well,
1: before I last ask the last question, share with my audience where they could follow you, uh, read some of those articles you're writing, your website, social media.
0: We create at Ethical, I have a supplement company called Ethical Inc. And uh, we we create about 25 health and wellness articles uh, every month on our platform. And we push it out, you know, three to four days a week on the Ethical Inc. platform. We've got some great uh, products with weight loss appetite suppressant that uh, we give a free 21 and 30 day uh, weight loss ebook for anyone that purchases any of our appetite suppressant multivitamins, post-workout etc so you can go to ethicallink.com and try our products out like I, I, I own a supplement company but I would be, be doing a disservice if I just offered supplements without giving you guidance and education so that's why we we offer these um, free weight loss ebooks for anyone that purchases any of our, our products so if anyone has any interest go to ethicallink.com or if you want to communicate with me and you have any questions, health and wellness questions, go to obobadike.com or just go on my social media pages, obobadike, and I'm always posting content you know, regularly because it's really what I enjoy doing.
1: Awesome. Uh, we'll have uh, Rachel, our show notes person, will put that down below. So if you're watching or listening, check out the notes for all those resources. Obi, final question. I talk a lot about this. Um, I call it a supplement and it's called vitamin G. And it lowers inflammation, helps with strength training, helps with ATP, as you mentioned. And it's called vitamin G because it's vitamin gratitude, the practice of gratitude, the benefits that you get by feeling grateful. So I want to ask you, what are you grateful for right now?
0: Um, I'm grateful for my health, you know, and I'm not, not from an aesthetic perspective, from a perspective that I'm healthy. I'm not in the ICU. I don't have any liver issues. I don't have any kidney issues. I think we take for granted our health so much. I know I do. So I'm so grateful that I'm healthy and I can walk and I can sleep and I can move. So what I would just tell your audience is please don't take for granted for your health because as healthy as you are, there's someone in the ICU that is fighting for their life. So just please just take, just understand how blessed you are that you're healthy your your organs are functioning well. Your heart is functioning well. I really try to remind myself every day of that. It's just to be grateful that I'm healthy. Because without your health, you you have nothing. I don't care how much money you have. So just just understand that uh, money can always be made. But um, you know, your when when your health is deteriorated, it, it's a really it, you don't even want to live. You know, it's just that's why it's so important to exercise and try to eat right, so we can reduce the risk of any of these chronic health diseases that, that tend to seem to creep up as we get older.
1: Well said, bro, 100% health is, is really wealth. I would say if you treat your health casually, you will end up a casualty. You don't wanna do that. Uh, Obi, thank you for your brilliance and your attitude and enthusiasm and, and zest for educating us about health and fitness and all that fun stuff we ch- chatted about today. We'll put all of your resources down below. Ben, uh, and ben thank you so much for, you, for having me
0: on and God bless all that you're doing, man. And um, I'm already, are, already a fan of you. I think you're a great interview. You got a great podcast. I'll, I'll always support what you're doing. Uh, we're all in the same industry to try to make the industry a better place. So I appreciate the opportunity. Um, appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit about myself with the audience. I hope the audience is able to benefit from any information that, I, that I've that i given and uh when the show is uh just send me the link and i'll push it out and promote it on on all of my pages so thank you so much ben for everything and uh i look forward to uh communicating with you on a another level maybe when i get cut out to florida i'll catch you out and take Coming you.
1: care to florida play some basketball
0: with play me. some ball now you gotta go going playing some ball now right yeah.